turn your Bibles to Philemon. 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 In the in Chick-fil-A. Um, in, the, in the Greek, it's not an, it's an Ada. So it's, it's looks like an N with a thing over the front, the top of it. It's a, so you say it Ada in Greek, but, but it's long E when you transliterate it from the Greek to English of Philemon. But then you have some guys who are like, want to sound more Greek, so they say Philemon. Um, and then you have people who are creative and say Philemon. Um, anyway, I'm just being snarky. Because I can't be. Philemon chapter, oh wait, there's just one chapter. It's awesome. We're going to look at the whole book today, just like we did in Sunday school. Whole chapter, a whole book, the whole letter. All right, um, I am not a stranger to television. I watch some TV in my, in my free time. But, I, but I'm, not a, I'm not a glutton. Like, it's not the only thing that I do, but I do watch some television. But one of the genres of television that I just cannot get into, and I'm sorry, I just cannot get into it, and that's reality TV. So if you're into reality TV, this is not a judgment on your personality or your soul. Maybe, maybe not, or not, just, it's not, it's okay. Um, I, just, I just, if it's been edited to 22 minutes, it's not reality. That's, that's, you know, it's, that's just, it's unscripted maybe, but it's not, it's not reality. But there is one reality show that I've kind of gotten into a little bit, and it's Gold Rush. Has anybody seen this show called Gold Rush? Awesome. I'm using an analogy that nobody's ever heard of. That's great. So my, my dad and my, my brother are really into Gold Rush, and so I went to see them three weeks ago, and they, we watched a few episodes of Gold Rush. So the show is like this. you got three or four different camps of groups of, of men and women in some cases. And they are mining for gold. Some of them are in the mountains <clears throat> out west. Some of them are in Alaska. And they're just following, they're just camera crews. They were following their, their quest in their pursuit of gold. And so they've got all kinds of equipment like this, you know, all over, um, all over their, the land that they're excavating and all kinds of cranes and excavators and backhoes and they're picking up mounds and mounds of rock and dirt and they're dropping it on these machines that shake it out and wash it out and as it works through the process all of the rock and all the dirt and all the things that aren't gold get filtered through and out and what's left through all of that work is ideally it is gold. Gold. Some of you, everybody wearing gold right now? Probably got some, some gold on, maybe, yeah. Everybody knows what gold is. It's extremely valuable. It is fascinating stuff. It's very rare. It's soft as a metal. It's malleable. It can be shaped into anything, which is why we use it in jewelry and other little fine things. It also has really interesting chemical properties. Um, it's a noble metal. Does anybody know what that means? Any, any middle school or high school students that take chemistry? What does it mean to be a noble metal? It's on the bottom two lines of the periodic table. College for the win. That's right. Uh, it just means that it resists corrosion uh, from, other, from other chemicals. So these make, uh, those kind of properties make gold. Uh, how, do, how's, how do I word this? Um, it makes it pretty simple to prove its existence, that what you have doesn't just look like gold, but it actually is gold. All right, so here's... Here's the thing. So in Gold Rush, they, they don't show them doing this on the TV show. But back in the day, when a gold miner or a gold trader wanted to prove if he found gold, he, would, he or she would take it, what they think is gold, and they would scrape it on a dark rock. 
on a stone and kind of leave a trace of it there. And then they would take nitric acid and they would drop it on that part that they had scraped. And, they, um, and if it dissolved, you didn't have gold because nitric acid can't dissolve gold. But if they scraped it on the rock and the nitric acid was dropped and it didn't dissolve and it stayed there, they would then take another solution of nitric acid and hydrochloric acid blended together, which makes it very powerful, and it actually can dissolve gold. So they would drop it on that trace that's on that rock, and if it dissolved, then then you almost certainly did have gold. The point being that it is one thing to say that you found gold. It is one thing to think that you have found gold. It is another thing entirely to know that you have gold. And the way that you know you have gold is through test, through, through testing. And you have evidence that comes out as a result of those tests. So we're going to look at a letter today called Philemon. And it's, it is a letter. It's a very personal letter, um, but it was also one that was public. You can see that in verse um, uh, in verses one through three. It's personally addressed to Philemon, but it's also addressed to the church that met inside of his home. And Paul, um, the, in this letter, Paul deals with an issue that that in one sense is very personable, but it's not private. Does that make sense? It's a personal issue. But it's not private because of the nature of the issue itself and the nature of the relationships of all that are involved of the people that are meeting in Philemon's home. And the letter is a test. The letter is an acid test to see if Philemon has gold in his life. That is what this letter is. So when writing this letter, Paul is rubbing Philemon's discipleship against this dark stone And how Philemon responds will reveal whether or not there is evidence of gold in his life. That is what the letter is doing. So if you would please stand. Let's read verse 17 through 22 together. Philemon 17 through 22. Just the real crux of the results of the the letter. Paul wrote, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I want to show you from the, from the entire letter today, evidence of grace, evidence of grace, evidence that our lives are gold in the gospel, if you will. And there are two pieces of evidence in this letter. And the first one that I would like to show you is growth. It's progress. It's maturation. So if you look at the very first few verses of Philemon, you can see that Philemon is an awesome guy. He's got an outstanding character. He's an easy person to to love. He's an easy person to be thankful for because there's just not a person that Philemon didn't love. Look at verse 4. Paul says, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. 
Why? Because I hear of your love for all the saints. I, 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 when I think about Philemon, I think, man, that guy, just there's just nobody he can't love. There's nobody that he doesn't invest in, nobody he doesn't enjoy, nobody he doesn't pour into. He, he just loves everybody. And I hear about the faith that he has in the Lord Jesus. He loves everybody the way he loves everybody because he has been shown the gospel and believes the gospel. And the impact that that's had on him is his love for other, other people. He's just a loving guy. Verse 7, I have great joy, says Paul, and I have encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So when you, it's just, he's just a, he's just a guy that you love to be around because you know that he loves you. And so we, we see, like, this is, Philemon's an awesome guy. He's an outstanding person. Now, you might, you might hear verse 7 in verse 4 and verse 7, and you might think, well, uh, does this just mean that he's jolly? You know, that, that he's, um, that he's uh, uh, an enthusiast, that he's the life of the party, right, that can go around the room. He's like, like Luke, like he's, he's the guy that can go around the room and know everybody and make everybody laugh and, and joyful. Well, the, yes, I think there's, there's some of that. But if you look at verse 7, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This tells us that, um, that Philemon was more than just a great guy to be around. This is a military word. It's a verb that describes the refreshment or the recuperation that an army would go through after being exhausted by a very difficult forced march. So, so Philemon, by using this word, Paul is saying that Philemon is much more than just the life of the party, but he's the kind of person that breathes life into exhausted hard-fighting Christian soldiers enduring persecution in their faith. He is the one, Philemon is the one whose love for others manifested itself in the form of encouragement and, and energy when everybody around him needed it. This is a very special person with a very profound faith. So let me just lay the course there, like right off the bat, this is a godly man. This is a Christian. This is a person who loves Jesus He's somebody you really love to be around. He breathes life into you when you are down and out. He lifts you up in the gospel. This is a godly man. But this person's faith, Philemon's faith, needed to grow even more. It's a wonderful faith. It's just not a complete faith. More growth is needed. And the way that you grow, unfortunately, is through testing. Uh, we've been doing ACT testing talk training with the uh, two oldest boys. And I, I met with a lady that does this like for a living, you know, where she, she consults and coaches people through the college process. And she's like, you know, Rob, honestly, with, with boys like yours, it's a numbers game. If just simple fact of the matter, the more practice tests you take at the ACT to a point, the higher your score will be. The way you improve in your evidence of your intelligence, so to speak, to the, to the extent the ACT can do this, it's by just practice. It's by testing over and over again. Philemon's faith needed to grow and it was going to go through a means of a specific test. Now, look in the text. Verse 6, what evidence might surface with this test? Look at verse 6. Paul tells us, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective 
through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. So there are two things in this prayer that Paul prays to see as evidence in Philemon's life. I'm praying that participation in the faith and knowing every good thing. Participation in the faith and knowing every good thing. So the first thing that Paul prays for is participation in the faith. Okay, Philemon is hosting the church in his home. His chips are in, right? Like we're going to, I'm going to, we're, I'm going to be a part of this church plant. In fact, you guys, you can meet in my home when we gather together as a body for worship. Like he's, he's in. He understands biblical community. He's got, his, he's got his whole house involved in hosting the church. And Paul says, I want you to, I pray that your participation in the faith may become, and this is an interesting phrase, may become effective. So this phrase participation is the Greek word koinonia. You've probably heard this word before if you've heard a sermon about community or fellowship or sharing your life together. But the reason they have all those different words is because the word koinonia doesn't mean just any one of those things. It kind of means all of those things wrapped up into one. What Paul is asking Philemon to do is not just host church, not just host a small group, not just teach a class, not just show up on Sunday, not just give. He's asking him to press into his relationships in the church to form a deep and mutual bond. A deep and mutual bond. He is, um, he wants Philemon and the people in the church to belong together. He wants them to lead one another. He wants them to serve one another. He wants them in the same way that they are bonded individually to Christ. He wants them to be bonded to one another. It's a joyful, active, and committed and sustained relationship. See, Philemon was already on the team, but their Christian life is not static. So Paul is praying that Philemon's participation, which as good as it was, would deepen, would grow. He wants his participation to grow. And then the second thing he wants to to see in Philemon's life when it comes to uh, this evidence is he wants him to know every good thing. All the things. One of the, Abby Jane said this a couple of years ago. It was so, you know, you have those parenting moments like you're just never going to forget this moment, right? And she's my only daughter, so it's easy for you to remember all the moments. But right, because right now it's just like, it's just the best. It's just, it's the best time. She said to me a couple of years ago, she was outside playing in, in our backyard in the summer, spring. And I mean, it was, you know, bugs everywhere and nature and crawdads and rocks and turtles. And that's just all, all of her things. And a couple of years ago, she came running. She goes, Daddy, I want to be a scientist so I can know all of the things. That's what I want to do. I want to know all of the things. And that's what, that's what Paul is praying here for Philemon. I pray that your participation in the faith your deep and mutual bond with other believers in the church, what does he say in verse 6, will become effective. It's not just relationships. How, is the, how are those relationships going to become effective? Through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. See, Paul knows that discipleship isn't just relational It's not mindless. It's not just instinctive. There is a careful thought as we enter into new circumstances or different stages of our life. We need to know different and new and wonderful things that are related to the gospel in order to thrive and grow in those things. 
the, the, the behavior patterns that brought us to a certain point in our faith, may or, they'll help, but they are not so, the only thing that we need to navigate the things that are coming later. They, they help contribute and prepare us, but we learn new things through the experiences that we have in these new things, right? So how we live out our faith as a college student doesn't necessarily prepare us for life in the office 20 years later. You know, we'll face ethical dilemmas in the world of work that we've never even occurred to us beforehand. So we have to, we have to learn every good thing. We have to grow. We have to, we will have to be challenged of how to apply the truths of the gospel to our lives. And that is what Paul is asking Philemon to do. I want to see, I am praying for you, Philemon, that you'll press into your participation in your relationships with others in the church and that you will do every good thing, not just the things I know you're really good at in your faith. Now, this is, this is where it gets interesting. So Paul is praying for koinonia and for knowledge. He's praying for participation and discipleship. How does that going to manifest itself in Philemon's life? What's going to happen to Philemon in order for him to grow in participation, in order for him to grow in his knowledge? Look at verses 8 through 17. Paul says, For this reason, that prayer, for this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, Philemon, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. So what happened... And what is the test that Paul is putting at Philemon's feet? Because we're, you know, it's, I don't know if, like, I like to people watch. I don't, I don't know if you like to people watch, but I, I like to people watch. The only thing that really gets me through traveling for work is people watching in the airport. It's like the greatest form of entertainment. Like, I'm glad I came here now because I get to people watch. But, you know, it's not just people watching. You can, if you're not, you know, if you're really sly, you can, you can be sitting and waiting on your plane, and, and for some reason there's that one or two people who are loud talkers on their phone. You know what I'm talking about? This is the guy like, well, how come you do that? And they just, you know, and you, they, you, they have this whole conversation, and you're only hearing one half of it. So in your mind, you're going, I know what this is about. And you start filling in all the blanks based on what you're hearing, and you're trying putting the two together so you can come up with this wonderful story that this person's gotten to experience, right? Well, that's kind of what it's like reading this letter, right? We only have one side of the conversation. Paul knows everything and all the context, and uh, Philemon knows everything and all the context. Onesimus knows everything and all the context, but we don't really have. We only have one side of the story, so we have to listen in and look at the words 
and trying to figure out what the whole story is and why what Paul is asking is so incredible, gospel, beautiful. It's incredible. So what happened? Well, let me be the first, not the first. Let me first tell you, we don't know what happened. Um, We don't, but we can surmise some things with some degree of confidence, right? We can surmise that Philemon was a very important member of the Colossian church who had been converted through Paul. We get that from verse 19. And that Philemon owned a slave by the name of Onesimus, which, by the way, means useful. That's what the name means. At some point, Onesimus, not as a Christian, but just a slave owned by Philemon, left Philemon, probably stealing money from Philemon in order to survive his departure. Of course, he was considered property that time, and he is effectively a commodity, so he's also stealing from him in that way. And in parts of the Roman Empire, the maximum punishment for this would have been death. So an owner, in this case Philemon, who spared his slave the death penalty, would have been incredibly gracious by any standard. But somehow Onesimus in his running away finds his way to Paul. Paul leads Onesimus to Christ in verse 10. You can see that. And this new spiritual reality has transformed Onesimus. And he was once useless, but now he is truly leaving up to his name, Paul says, as useful. So that's the scenario. You have a slave who's run away from Philemon, who's found his way to Paul, become a Christian in the process, and he's been an incredibly uh, wonderful servant, and he's growing in Christ. And Paul knows that the right thing to do is to send him back to Philemon, who is his rightful owner. But the rela- everything's different now. Jesus has changed the nature of the relationship, transformed it, if you will, entirely. And so the acid test for Philemon, how does he need to press in with his koinonia? How does he need to grow in his knowledge? How does he need to form deep mutual bonds and relationship to others? How is he going to grow in his faith? How is he going to do that? He is going to embrace as a brother the one who was a slave. He is going to embrace as only a human being someone who was once a commodity and someone who stole from him and ran away from him. And Paul says, you love the church. Everybody loves to be around you. You're such an encouragement. Well, let's grow that just a little bit. Here's Onesimus back to you. Embrace him as a brother. And this was also an acid test for Onesimus. I mean, think about it. What an incredible act of faith to trust the Lord in going back to the place and the person that he betrayed, seeking their forgiveness in an application of the gospel. So when both of these lives come together, it is in effect an acid test. When these two come together, will the gospel be found true in their life? One of the best things, one of the best things about going through a difficult time or entering into a difficult circumstance that's super awkward and uncomfortable and you don't really want to go through it, but the best thing about it, one of the best things about it is that in it you see who's got the gospel gold. Who's got it? And do you have it as well? The gospel really does require everything of us. You think it would be enough, right, for Philemon? Like he's hosting the church and he loves everybody and everybody loves to be around him. Surely that would be enough. No, the gospel requires more of him. 
The gospel really does make a profound difference in our world. The difference is often much bigger than just the difference that we immediately see. One of the commentaries I was reading about this um, used this illustration. I found it super helpful. Do you all know what the, um, the butterfly effect is? The butterfly effect was a... Um, it's originated in the study of weather systems. And the, the impetus, the, the idea is that something really, really small on the weather can later down the line have a profound impact and create a much, much larger uh, you know, weather uh, situation. Um, so this guy named Edward Lorenz was analyzing tornadoes and how they start. And in his study, he suggested that the cumulative effect of very small events leads to and can have a very vast and devastating consequence several weeks later in the form of a tornado. And he would, he would try and back it up all the way to something as small and minute as a butterfly. So you have weather systems that are modeled on a computer. Entirely different outcomes result if you change even the smallest detail weeks before. So all the way to something down to the butterfly effect. So that's what became known as the butterfly effect. So I think it's a really helpful analogy to understand what's going on in this text. Think about Onesimus and the step of faith that this moment has. Now, this is 2,000 years ago. It's just, between, it's just between the two of them, right? It's just between the two of them. Will he go? And think about Philemon. He, you know he's coming. Paul has buttered your bread. You are, are you really going to grow and believe in the gospel? Um, and, and here he comes, and the two, let's assume, embrace one another in gospel glory. Right then, it's just about them. But here we are reading the letter. Here we are understanding the impact And here we are growing and changing, being challenged to deepen our bonds with one another in Christ, being challenged to grow and apply the gospel to more challenging situations in our life, being challenged to see if the evidence of gospel gold is present when we meet these difficult times. Their relationship was a butterfly effect for you and I today and has been rippling through history of the church since it happened. It was a test case of the most cherished beliefs about the kingdom of God and its impact is on you and I today. So I would ask you to just, uh, let's, let's think about this just for a moment, right? Gospel gold, how do we, how do we grow? How, how do we press in? You want to grow together as a church? How's that going to happen? You, you, want to, uh, you want to grow in knowing every good thing? How's that going to happen? Certainly, we want to continue to gather together. Certainly, want to continue to be in a small group together. Certainly, want to continue doing great ministry together, like BBS and others. And certainly, it's going to be growing in our knowledge of the Scripture. But that, that, that stuff actually has to manifest itself in real life. Our lives actually change, and it's the circumstances and the experiences where we buy. Okay, this is happening. Will there be gospel gold? Will I demonstrate through my actions, my words, that this gospel is true? That's the point of Philemon. Will we understand and believe and demonstrate that there is gospel gold? Let's pray together and ask the Lord to reveal in us gospel gold through our circumstances. Lord, that's, a, that's it. That's our prayer. We, we want to 
we want to learn from this letter in the same way that Philemon and Onesimus did, which is to say, there are things that are going to come about in our life that will test us and demonstrate evidences of grace. We rest solidly in our salvation, whether there's new evidence of grace shown or not, but we want there to be, through the testing of our faith, through circumstances, a demonstration that there is gospel gold. That that who you are, what you have done is true and it's making an impact in our relationship. So help us, Lord, to deepen our relations with another. Help us to grow in knowledge of every good thing. And Lord, when the circumstances come that bring that about, let us lean into them and proclaim the gospel through our response in our lives. That's our prayer, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.